0: Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis.
1: Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 550 with Dr. Jennifer Goldman-Wetzler. Dr. Jennifer is going to share what to do when you're trying to resolve some conflict and it's just not going anywhere. So you'll learn, one, the simplest way to stop conflict from overwhelming you. Two, how to untangle the complex web of recurring conflict. And three, the smartest thing to do when a conflict goes nowhere. You can check out our show notes and transcript and links to items we've referenced over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep550. Or in certain podcast apps, you can see them right in your show notes or episode description and tap the links. And in some, you can't. It drives me insane. (laughs) My team and I have been trying to untangle that conflict. But uh, it is what it is. And um, we're going to do a couple little formatting changes. And um, that's about as good as it can be. Anyway, here's Jennifer's story. Dr. Jennifer Goldman-Wetzler is founder and CEO of Alignment Strategies Group, the New York-based consulting firm that counsels CEOs and their executive teams on how to optimize organizational health and growth. She's the author of Optimal Outcomes, Free Yourself from Conflict at Work, at Home and in Life, published just recently. She's also a keynote speaker at Fortune 500 companies, public institutions, and innovative fast-growing startups where she inspires audiences of all kinds, including those at Google, Harvard, and TEDx, and in her popular course at Columbia. She's a former counterterrorism research fellow with the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and a graduate of Tufts University who holds a PhD in social organizational psychology from Columbia University. Huge thanks to Jennifer for sharing these insights with us, and huge thanks to our sponsors. Check them out Now, here's Jen. Jen, thanks for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast.
2: Pete, thanks so much for having me.
1: Oh, well, I'm excited to dig in. And uh, first, I understand that you hiked the Appalachian Trail and did you do the whole thing or what was the story here?
2: (laughs) I did not do the whole thing, although that's a nice goal. I've been on many parts of it, um, but the part that I write about in the book is four days in the New Hampshire White Mountains part of the Appalachian Trail.
1: Lovely, cool. And so can you tell us any, key lessons learned or what inspired you to get out there?
2: Well, what inspired me to get out there is two things. One, on the personal level, I just love being outdoors. I find connecting to nature to be very just spiritually grounding and nurturing and fun. Um, So that's, that's one piece of what inspired me. And then the other piece is what I write about in the book is I was in the middle of writing the chapter on emotions when I decided to go on the trip. And I decided that what I would do was experiment with feeling each of my emotions as they arose and just noticing them and naming them, identifying them, and then seeing if I could just be with them and let them go. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly what I did. And it was a very rainy few days on the trail. And I began to notice that the emotions were really, like the Buddhists say, uh, like the weather they came and they went just like the rain came down heavier and then came down later <laughs> and then sometimes went away and the sun came out um and so it was great learning about what it was like to really feel the emotions as they come because there were so few distractions on the trail like there are in the in the big city
1: mm-hmm. well so now that's intriguing right there so what is the implication for professionals or folks dealing with conflict that uh, that is how it works with emotions. They come and go like the weather. What does that mean for us?
2: Well, first of all, it means you, we do not all need to go hiking on a trail for okay. four days or for you know even hours. Yeah, fast
1: forward, <laughs> listen to you.
2: Right, what it means is it can be important to just pause. That might mean 30 seconds of pausing while you're on the commuter train and you look up from your phone and look out the window at the view. Um, Or that might mean in the middle of switching computer applications, taking a deep breath and, you know, standing up and then sitting back down and keep keeping going. Uh, but any practice that you can do, frequency is, I think, much more important than duration. So doing something like that once a day or twice a day in the morning and in the evening is very helpful for all those people out there wondering. The question I get so often is you know, what do I do when I'm stuck in conflict and it's like the heat of the moment and I'm just so triggered and I'm so angry. One of the best practices that I know of is to, on a regular basis, pause and notice what am I feeling right now? That's all there is to do. Mm-hmm. And it can be very uncomfortable, of course, but still
1: gotta do it. Oh, well, Jen, we are on a great start. So then I want to hear, so you have this book, Optimal Outcomes, and I love things being optimal. Fun fact, the name of my company is Optimality, LLC. So tell us, what made you conclude that the world needed you to write this book, Optimal Outcomes? What's sort of like the main issue we're addressing here?
2: Yeah, well, first of all, I'll say I love that we both like things being optimal. I think there are strengths and limitations to that, which I can talk about. Um, But the reason why I think the world needs this book is because all of the conflict books that I know of, that I've been sharing with people for years, that are great, all help people resolve conflict. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, sometimes conflict is not resolvable. I will say that again.
1: <laughs> I am hearing Gottman's uh, <laughs> echoing yes. in my ear. Continue. Yeah. Yes. Not resolvable.
2: Well, not all conflict is resolvable. And I think that that can come as a surprise to many, many people because so many of us have been inculcated in this idea that we must be able to collaboratively resolve conflict when it arises. And what we know from now, the last 40 years of conflict literature is that conflict naturally begets conflict. That is the nature of the beast. So if that's true, sometimes we may be able to use collaborative win-win principled negotiation methods in order to resolve it, but sometimes we won't be able to. Sometimes that conflict will turn out to be what I call resolution resistant. So this book is all about what to do when you find yourself in recurring conflict. That is conflict that doesn't go away, no matter how many times you've tried to resolve it. And that's what Optimal Outcomes is all about. It's about how to free yourself in those kinds of
1: situations. Well, yeah, that sounds very helpful and important. And yeah, as I'm thinking about Dr. John Gottman. I think that's one of the main points he puts forth. This is the legendary for listeners, relationship therapist who could predict divorce rates based on observing them. And At first, it seems like a depressing thought, like, oh, many conflicts. You're going to have the same argument um, until the day you die uh, with your spouse. Like, oh, wow, (laughs) that's a huge bummer. But in a way that it really kind of frees you, it's like, my wife is always going to be super into safety as the top, 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 top priority, maybe more than the average person as a master's of public health. And, And I would be more into efficiency, optimality, productivity than the average person. And sometimes these things coincide beautifully with our vacuum robot, their safety and efficiency. And sometimes they are not at all in accord. And and that's kind of just what we're going to deal with until we die. But knowing that we're able to sort of deal with these matters more healthfully and productively. So right. tell us, what do we do when we find ourselves in that situation?
2: Well, Pete, what you were just talking about reminds me of how I define an optimal outcome. The definition of an optimal outcome is one that both takes into account the greatest ideal future we can imagine in that situation. And it also takes into account the reality of the situation that we're facing. And I think, again, one of the places where we get tend to get stuck is that we've been taught that the way to reach an optimal outcome, or the way to resolve conflict, rather, is to imagine what we want. And then, you know, offer other people options and that you're taking into account what they want. And the problem is sometimes they don't know exactly what they want. And we don't know exactly what we want because we've buried some of our interests and needs and desires inside of ourselves. So because of that, it can be very difficult sometimes to do that classic collaborative problem solving. And we need to take into account the reality of who it is that we're facing the reality of the constraints of the situation even the reality of who we ourselves are just like you just we're starting to talk about you know who you sound like you have some self-awareness about you know you like things to be optimal (laughs) Mm -hmm. and your wife is all about safety um but for many of us when we can't even Uh, when we don't have that self-awareness or we're not willing to admit certain things about ourselves, it can be very difficult to take those realities into account. So that is is part of the definition of an optimal outcome is that it does take those realities into account.
1: Yeah, that's really connecting. And I don't know why you got me thinking about contractors right now in terms of, because sometimes I wonder, why is it hard to get them on the phone or to show up when they say they will and part of you wonders, like maybe this is somehow optimal for them in a way that I'm not even aware of. Mm. And so, what you're surfacing here is that um, maybe they're not even aware of it. And so, so awareness is a key foundational step. You know, how to recommend we get some more of that.
2: Well, the thing that I'm—I'll give a name to what it is that you just mentioned. Yeah. That is distinguishing between our ideal values and our shadow values. Okay. So. Our ideal values are those things that we care about in life that we're proud to say we care about. Things like adventure, spirituality, customer first, collaboration, right? These are things that people tend to be proud of. That's in contrast to things that we really care about in life that we're not proud to admit yeah. that we care about tend to be things like everyone's different and, and I, you know, some I can, talk about it more about how some people's ideal values are actually other people's shadow values and vice versa but some classic shadow values in my experience working with thousands of students and clients uh, is that things like status recognition Mm -hmm. power financial security competition these are things ease Right. So in the case of, in the case, the example that you just gave about a contractor who doesn't call you back, Mm -hmm. you know, they may open up a business because they want to be helpful to people and do great work and get paid for their work. Yeah. And yet there may be things that they care about, like quality of life, ease of, Mm -hmm. you know, not having to keep track of phone numbers, or I don't know. I'm not a contractor. So (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what those things are. Um, but it can help us just to imagine what might be driving someone to do or not do what it is that we hope or want them to do. And it's just in guessing even what someone else's shadow values might be, even if we're wrong, just the act of wondering what their shadow values might be can help raise our empathy for them. Mm -hmm. And so it can actually, even if we're wrong, it's a very helpful exercise to do. The rewards are worth the risk of getting it wrong.
1: Yeah. That gets you thinking in terms of it was like, well, maybe this poor roofer, he's just been nonstop <laughs> and needs a break. And I like that the list of shadow values. This reminds me of, um, I don't know if it was St. Augustine or someone who laid out sort of, you know, money, power, honor, fame, comfort, pleasure mm. uh, was kind of the framework. And it seems like there's some rich overlap to what you're describing. Yes. So this is really timeless stuff in the human condition. Mm-hmm. So, okay, that's a great step is become aware and think and maybe guess about some of the shadow values that others are are having. And so where do we go from there?
2: So this is only one of eight practices that are part of the optimal outcomes method. Mm -hmm. A nice place to begin, I dove into this idea of looking at your values and other people's values. And I should say, looking at shadow values is not only about looking at other people or guessing at other people's shadow values, but obviously a really great thing to ask yourself is what might my own shadow values be that might be driving my behavior in this situation that I might not be proud of, that I've pushed down. But doing that can really, really help free you from conflict. Because once you realize what's been driving your behavior, you have the power to either own up to it and stop doing it or own up to it and say, you know what, this is something I'm going to own and I'm going to do it right out. So if authority is important to me and I wish it wasn't, well, maybe I need to, start being more direct. Mm-hmm. And that would help in this situation where I'm confusing people because I'm trying to be so collaborative, but they don't understand what it is that I want them to do. So that's that's values. But a great place to begin is about mapping out the conflict. So, so often when we're stuck in conflict, it can seem on the face of it like it's just a very simple situation. It's between me and you and you're wrong and I'm right. <laughs> right? And so... The thing is, when we're stuck in recurring conflict, it's usually not that simple. If it were, we probably would have figured out how to get out of the situation a long time ago or how to resolve it a long time ago. So a great tool is to map it out. And in fact, people can go, if they're interested in in an online, a very cool online mapping software uh, or even paper and pencil, you can go to OptimalOutcomesBook.com and download the paper and pencil template, And also find this very cool online software, uh, conflict mapping tool. Uh, So what you do is put down on your map, first of all, the people that are obviously involved in the situation. And then your job is to add as many people to your map as you can. People who are related in the situation that you hadn't thought of before. And I not only want you to put people on your map, but also any other events timelines background history anything that has impacted the situation and also anything that might be impacted by the situation so people that are impacted or could be impacted by and all of a sudden your map starts to have some uh texture to it and it's amazing to me It can sometimes take people less than five minutes to sketch out a map like this. And all of a sudden the light bulbs are going off and people realize levers for change on that map that they had never thought about before. Hmm. Uh, It also really can help raise empathy for other people and also compassion for yourself as well.
1: Yeah. Well, that sounds very exciting. So could you maybe give us an example of, you know, someone, they got a conflict and then they hunker down And they make the map and what sort of results from that?
2: So I have a client who is named Bob, I write about him in the book, and he was in a very long-standing conflict with the head of sales of his organization. He is the CEO of a startup tech company, and uh, they had been growing by leaps and bounds, and the salary that he had been paying to his head of sales was completely out of whack uh way above market rates uh and he knew that he needed to lower it but every time he tried to bring it up with sally the same thing happened she would get very angry they would start screaming at each other and they would walk away and and shut down for weeks sometimes months by the time he and I started working together, they had not talked to each other <laughs> for a number of months, and they, that was a big problem because they needed to run the business together. So when I asked him to map out the situation, at first, it was just very obvious to him, well, it's him and Sally. But a few minutes later, when I asked him to put more people on the map, what he realized is, well, the executive team is involved, and particularly the CFO who had been pressuring him to lower Sally's compensation. And then he realized he had to put his own family and his background on the map because his ideas about his father and his brother who were these entrepreneurs who had taught him that entrepreneurial risk taking was important and him uh, also the way he grew up as an adult in the software field that touted uh, collaboration, as you know, the highest virtue, had made it very difficult for him to be authoritative with Sally and be direct about what he needed and wanted from her. He also put Sally's family and background on the map and noticed that he, you know, he knew this from stories she had told him. But he realized she came from a poor family, even though she made so much money now. She still might have fears about, you know, not having enough because of how she grew up. He also put their VC uh, venture venture capital investors on the map um, because they were also pressuring him to lower Sally's compensation and that that um, influenced the situation. So all of a sudden, a situation that began with him thinking it was just him and Sally yelling at each other on a street corner turned out to be a little more complex. And that helped him see these levers for change of people that could that could potentially be helpful and, mm-hmm. and ways he could have more helpful behavior.
1: Well, so then tell us, what's the ending to the story?
2: Well, the ending to the story, I will let you find out in the book. But <laughs> mm. Mm. but I will say that he was really able to see because he had been pointing his finger at her saying, why is she so greedy? She's so greedy. Why can't she just understand that for the, bu- the sake of the business, she should take a cut of, um, you know, her salary is just completely out of whack and noticing that she was just driven by, by fear uh-huh. from how she grew up, helped him not forgive and forget the behavior that he didn't like. He didn't like that she had yelled at him and walked away from him. That was not appropriate behavior uh, in his opinion or mine. Um, it didn't make that go away, but it did help him calm down and it did help him stop yelling back. And it did enable him to actually decide to have a conversation with her. And it helped. the mapping also helped him realize, you know, he had been pressured by the CFO and the VC investors to have this conversation with Sally, but he had gotten no guidance from them. He hadn't asked mm-hmm. them for help on how to have the conversation. So mapping was able, helped him do that helped him go to them and and ask for advice and help about how to do this. So those are just a couple of examples of how his map helped him.
1: Okay, lovely. Thank you. So then you've got a term, a distinction between conflict freedom versus conflict resolution. Can you kind of help us get our arms around this distinction?
2: Yeah. Well, conflict resolution is what I've talked about before, which is thinking that a collaborative win-win style of negotiation is going to help you resolve a particular conflict. But so often it doesn't work or it's about safety, right? Like we could go back to the example you gave about you and your wife. You're you're talking about things that are near, values that are near and dear to your heart. If someone cares uh, deeply about safety or if someone, you know, I've worked with plenty of um, executives who who complain about their CEO who cares so much about financial security that that CEO can't be innovative or can't uh, put resources in the places that, they, that the person thinks they need to in order to allow the organization to grow and innovate because they're so worried about uh, quarterly financial um, reports. And so whenever we care about things that are deeply ingrained in us from a values perspective, we're not always going to be able to resolve that conflict and tie it up neatly in a bow. Instead, our job is to free ourselves from that conflict loop. I call it a conflict loop instead. So the way the conflict loop works, the way we get stuck in it is that we have conflict habits. There are actually four conflict habits that I've identified in the book. And our conflict habits get locked in patterns, in a pattern with someone else's conflict habit or another group's conflict habit. And those conflict habits make it very difficult to break free from that cycle so it's just the conflict cycle that goes around and around and around and so the goal there is not to resolve anything sometimes there's not even anything necessarily really to resolve when we look at that a classic conflict pattern is blame blame so we blame someone right so that's what bob and sally were stuck in they were blaming each other he would tell her he needed to lower his her compensation, she would yell back that that wasn't going to be possible. And then they would just call each other names and how horrible they each were to each other and they were blaming each other. So when you're stuck in a blame-blame conflict pattern, um, it can be very difficult to resolve, but you can take what I call pattern-breaking action to free yourself from that situation. And the beauty of freeing yourself from a, a locked pattern is that it doesn't take anyone else's cooperation. You don't need anyone else's help or cooperation in order to free yourself from that conflict loop. All you need are your own resources, which is the, you know, the practices and the optimal outcomes method, looking at what your own shadow values are, looking at what other people's shadow values are, mapping out the situation uh using your emotions in your favor not taking other people's emotions on as if they're your own but keeping those separate from you and there's a whole bunch of work you can do around that um, designing a pattern breaking path so not just taking one pattern breaking action but actually having your actions build on one another over time because it probably wasn't one thing that one one action that got you stuck in this it's been going on for a while so it's not only one action that's going to get you out it's going to be a whole series of simple but surprisingly different pattern-breaking actions that will get you out.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, well, can you please give us an example? So some pattern-breaking actions that come together in a pattern-breaking path. Yeah. What are some examples for how that comes to life?
2: Well, the beauty of a pattern-breaking action is that it's basically anything that's not What you've already been doing okay so typically when we get stuck in conflict it's because we're doing the same habitual conflict habit over and over and over again and expecting a different result so in the case of bob and sally they've been blaming each other in other cases you might be blaming someone and they're running away and hiding from you right they're not engaging they're shutting down uh or you may be relentlessly trying to collaborate with somebody and they are shut down they are not cooperating with you Mm -hmm. and you're just you know offering them option after option spinning your wheels wasting your time wasting energy focus um money so a pattern breaking action is anything that's different from what you've been doing and that can obviously that's different in any situation, in all different kinds of situations, depending on what you've been doing. But the beauty of it is that there's like a bazillion different possibilities, right? So um, I also like to say, you know, you want your pattern breaking action to be ideally something constructive, right? So I would not advise if you've been blaming someone else, then like go, um, you know, blame yourself instead. No, that's not what I'm talking about. But what I am talking about is it could be, that if you've been blaming, 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 and you take a pause, notice the pattern that you're stuck in, and decide that you wanna do something that's pattern breaking, something different, it could be you decide to kind of hang back for a little while and not do anything at all. Sometimes just pausing is a pattern breaking intervention, in fact. Mm -hmm. Um, And if people want to find out what their conflict habit is, you can also go online at optimaloutcomesbook.com slash assessment, and you can find the conflict habits assessment. It takes like seven minutes to take. It's totally mm-hmm. free. And so then you could also ask your friends and colleagues to take the assessment as well. And once you know your conflict habit and other people know theirs, you can figure out what is the pattern we've gotten stuck in. And then you have each have some ideas about other things you could do instead.
1: Mm-hmm. And so we could take the assessment to learn you know, what specifically is yours in the habit can you give us sort of the menu the rundown of options in terms of these are the conflict habits so one of them is blaming yeah. and what are the others
2: one of them is blame others one of them is blame yourself and shame blame and shame yourself so some mm-hmm. of us get stuck in that um you know negative self-talk cycle um one of them is shut down so we avoid to the point of letting the conflict brew until it boils over. And then we have uh, a crisis on our hands. And then the other, the final one is relentlessly collaborate. So we will uh, collaborate even when other people refuse to cooperate with us. So we're offering option after option and uh, people are not working with us.
1: Oh, and that's the whole menu right there.
2: That's just four. Okay. Yeah, so there are 16 different patterns that can emerge out of those four.
1: Yeah, intriguing. Okay, and so then when you say just a pattern breaking, it's just a matter to do anything other than that. So it could be one of the other three or is there something completely different beyond those?
2: Definitely things different beyond those, Mm -hmm. right? But it's very idiosyncratic. So I can't say to you, here's the thing that you must do to break the pattern because we need to know what it is that you're dealing with. So in Bob and Sally's case, um, where they had been blaming each other, Bob had to take a step back and take a break, and then pattern breaking action for him was that instead of surprising Sally as they walked out of a client lunch with telling her that he needed to talk to her about her compensation package, which is what he had done previously, Mm -hmm. um, he realized that he could do better by giving her some advance notice (laughs) and asking her uh, when was good for her to talk? So he did a bunch of different things that were pattern breaking. Like I said, he kind of created this pattern breaking path. So one of the things he did was not surprise her at the last minute, ask her in advance to talk, uh, email her, a- asked her if it would be helpful for him to send her in advance a proposal for what the package would look like. Um he also asked her if they could just talk about their relationship first. So they ended up talking about their relationship, their working relationship, even before they then, had the conversation about the compensation package itself because he realized that their relationship had become so damaged that that actually itself needed to be talked about. Mm-hmm. So there's once you start asking yourself what else could I do, well, yeah, there's lots and lots of ideas in the book about how to do that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, and I guess I'm also thinking about. Um, I found that a lot of times breakthroughs happen when you stop and really. I guess empathize, you know, walk in their shoes proverbially and get a sense of, you know what? She's probably feeling this because of this, 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 this. And it's amazing. Like occasionally, it's sort of like, I think maybe we just sort of assume we know and understand and we all understand what everybody's thinking. But then when you, when you actually sort of stop and articulate, it's like, hey, let me make sure I understand where you're coming from. And say, like, hey, you're really concerned about this because of these matters. And then it really feels like this under these circumstances. That could often just be just so powerful for folks with just that empathy. It's like, well, yes, that is exactly how I feel. And it feels great that you understand me. And it's sort of like we're already getting somewhere now.
2: Yeah, and that can happen. And sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes no matter what you do, you could be the most empathetic person on the face of the earth and the other person is not interested. Uh And so sometimes the key is to be able to cut your losses and fig- and notice for yourself so the last chapter in the book is all about helping people stop living in fantasy land right so if you're fantasizing about that kind of conversation happening and no matter what you've done uh-huh. no, no matter how much empathy you have for someone there's still like a blank wall um and just not responding to it um it may be that that relationship is one that's not going to happen the way that you thought it was. And that's a, that's part of what it means to take into account the reality of who the other person is and what they need and want. Um, and so there's exercises in that last chapter that help you determine whether you should continue to go for that ideal future that you might have imagined mm-hmm. or whether walking away is going to be less costly to you uh, and more beneficial to you than you had originally thought. So it's basically asking you to do a cost-benefit analysis of what what it looks like to stay stuck in conflict, what it might look like to walk away from the relationship or the situation completely, and also what it might look like to go for, uh, to pursue that ideal future that you've imagined. And, you know, this can be very striking for many people. So I've seen people who thought that they were just going to keep on, you know, go, trying to have empathy and trying to collaborate with someone else, and then they did that practice of choosing an optimal outcome and realized that the cost that they thought they would have to pay for walking away from that relationship, whether it was a business relationship or a personal relationship or some combination of both, um, that the costs were actually not as high as they had originally thought. And I've seen the opposite happen too. People who thought that um, the costs of staying put were so high that it was gonna make more sense for them to walk away realized, oh my gosh, the costs for me walking away from my mother, from my best friend, from my co-founder are so high, that's a fantasy, uh-huh. right? I've worked with many clients who love to fantasize about walking away, but all that does is it kind of acts like a, a soothing mechanism because it makes it that you don't have to deal with what actually is going on in the moment for you. Um, but all it does is just distract you from what it is that you do have to deal with. And if you are going to stay, let's stop fantasizing about walking away and 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 really focus on what are some pattern breaking actions I can take in this situation today.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, this is nice. We've covered a nice little um, lineup of some of your eight groundbreaking practices. Well, now could you give us a favorite quote, something you find inspiring?
2: Yes, my mentor, Dr. Mort Deutsch, who is the father of conflict resolution, always used to tell me prevention is the best medicine. Mm -hmm. And I believe he's right. I've quoted him in the book as well. And uh, there's so many parts of life that that quote is relevant to.
1: Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research?
2: I have many favorite experiments and research. Uh, One of them that I talk about in the book is about Dr. Wendy Wood's research on habits. And what she basically says is the best way to form new habits is to replace an old habit that you're not happy with with a new one so rather mm-hmm. than trying to get rid of one that's not working for you just replace it with something new uh, and she has a new book out uh, now as well and and i encourage people to to go study her work she's really a powerhouse and has done just amazing work in the habits area
1: oh thank you so that's a great study and also a book any other favorite books
2: yes a friend of mine named Priya Parker wrote a book a couple of years ago called The Art of Gathering, and it is just a wonderful book. It's easy to read, full of great stories, and it's all about how to gather people together um, from the informal wedding shower uh, to the formal business meeting and everything in between.
1: Uh-huh. And how about a favorite tool, something you use to be more awesome at your job?
2: Pausing. Uh-huh causing. It's a very low tech tool. (laughs) I know there are tons of apps out there, Calm and Insight Timer that people love. Um, But I will say just being quiet. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't take much. I I like to just sit quietly every once in a while and just breathe. And um, I don't do it as often as I might might like or benefit from. But when I do, it is just super helpful to just sit and be be quiet.
1: All right. And is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to Connect and resonate with folks, they quote it back to you often.
2: Well, it's something my father told me that I say to a lot of people, everything in moderation and moderation in everything.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them?
2: Optimaloutcomesbook.com is a great place to begin.
1: And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs?
2: Yes. When you find yourself stuck in recurring conflict, do something different, something pattern-breaking.
1: All right. Well, Jen, thank you for this and uh, best of luck with the book and all your adventures.
2: Thank you so much, Pete. You as well. Great to talk with you.
1: I really love what Jen had to say about when something is just not working, try something else. And you actually have a menu of those four options to try. So mix it up and see what happens. And ultimately, know when it's time to cut your losses and be at peace with that. So I think hopefully this will serve as a huge increase in your levels of peace and calm as you're interacting with different folks that you're bound to conflict with from time to time. Again, the show notes, the transcript, and the links to items we have referenced are at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep550. And I hope you'll push subscribe to catch our next guest. It's Dan Heath. From Chip and Dan Heath fame, they wrote a bunch of really cool books. The latest from Dan is called Upstream about how to solve problems before they start. He had a lot of really great stories and made the Blue Yeti microphone sound good with his masterful sound absorption treatment in the room. So mad props to Dan for being super cool. Hope you catch you there In peace.
0: Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full-text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered.